Thank you, and once again, a very good day to students and teachers of the Word of God. We've been through a very long series of study now on pneumatology, particularly dealing with the Holy Spirit. We realize, of course, that uh, Satan comes under the study of pneumatology of proper and systematic theology and dogmatic theology, as the devil also is the spirit, and called an unclean spirit in Mark chapter 5. We also realize this uh, study overlaps angelology, for the writer of Hebrews says that angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to them so they should be heir of the salvation. So in our study of pneumatology for the last uh, 12 broadcasts, we've been dealing primarily with the spirit world that deals with the third person of the Godhead, that part only. We have not taken a great deal of time to discuss other spirits, but we are here dealing with the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, called the Holy Ghost and called the Comforter, called the Spirit of Christ, called the Spirit of God, and called the Spirit of Truth. If you've learned this throughout these studies for weeks and times past, you've learned, of course, about the separate distinctions there are among the Trinity. You've learned the Trinity is not a Roman Catholic doctrine, and the Trinity is not a pagan doctrine. The Trinity is a Bible doctrine, and the man who denies the Trinity has denied about two-thirds of the Word of God. You've also learned that although the separate persons in the Godhead are distinguishable by their uh, work and their titles, they constitute one Godhead and one God. Further study in three will, re- will uh, make the student realize that everything in this world is composed of three elements, and without any one of the three, nothing real exists. Exactly why a man would think the Trinity was not a Bible doctrine is beyond our conception when we realize that everything in this world is composed of a series of three. The space-time uh, continuum is a threefold thing. Uh, time is past, present, future. If you have a present, there is something behind it and something in front of it. There is no such thing as past and present time. Past and present time doesn't exist. There is no such thing as future time. If there is future time, there is a point at which you are figuring ahead, and from that point behind you, there is another point. Now, by this, we simply mean that a man who denies the Godhead simply because he can't find it in Acts 2.38 is a Bible pervert and a spiritual perverter of the very worst sort. And the woe be to the Christian who messes around in Acts 2.38 when he ought to be in Acts 15, and woe be to the unsaved man who goes to hell in Acts 2.38 when he could go to heaven on Romans chapter 4, verse 5. Uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit constitute one God called the Godhead. They also consist of three persons who subsist individually and separately, although together. This is very apparent by their titles. For example, in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is never called the Lord Jesus Christ. Although the Lord is that Spirit, He is never called the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father is never called Jesus Christ. Although the man who has seen Jesus Christ has seen the Father, the term the Father is never applied to Jesus Christ in the flesh as a man, and the term Jesus Christ is never applied to God the Father in eternity. Now, it's true, although the Son was incarnate, uh, it's when he became incarnate that he was God Almighty incarnate, and as such, uh, the Son that was given, his name could be called the Everlasting Father, but you notice the Father is never called Jesus Christ. By the same token, the Lord Jesus Christ is never called the Comforter. By the same token, Jesus Christ is never called Jehovah Jireh or Jehovah Rapha. There's a clear distinction. Now, we say this only because after coming through 56 lessons on the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, I am still getting letters from people 
who kept their mouths shut when we studied the Godhead under God the Father and are now bringing out questions about the Trinity that were settled 54 lessons back. Now, this circular reasoning is quite characteristic of what we call the cults of the heretics. The heretics or cults in Christian service, who all, of course, profess to be Christians, you know, they say we speak with the Scriptures, speak and we're silent with the Scriptures are silent. These heretical cults, of course, have what we call circular reasoning. It resembles a revolving pinwheel. And what they do when faced with a text is simply run to another text. And when you face them on that text, they run to another one. When you face them on that, they run to another one. And then a year later, you find them back at the first text. So we're still getting mail from people who are confused about the relationship of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the Trinity when the matter was covered thoroughly more than a year ago. This is very typical. And, of course, we're not going to waste time to go back to these matters in the broadcast. And you don't waste time to do this. And the cultists and the heretics say, you see there, he can't answer our questions. <laughs> That's the old jazz. I mean, there's no crooked snake like a Christian crooked snake or a Campbell elder. If you want to get something crooked, brother, now those people have to screw their socks on in the morning. So we talk about pneumatology in these broadcasts. We're talking about the third person of God, or the Godhead, the Holy Ghost. The term Holy Ghost is never applied to God the Father. There is one place in the entire Bible Jesus Christ has ever called the Holy Ghost. There is one place where God the Father has ever called the Holy Ghost. And yet, as you learn from our studies, the Holy Ghost is plainly the third person of Trinity and endowed, endowed with divine attributes. There can be no doubt, no doubt about this business at all. We've covered this matter so thoroughly, you couldn't possibly have any doubt about it. The Holy Spirit possesses divine attributes, eternity, omnipresence, omnipotence, and omniscience. We gave you the verses. He possesses holiness, benevolence, truth, and communion. He was active in creation, salvation, giving life. He's the author of the new birth. He convinces men of righteous and judgment. And uh, although the Holy Spirit is a saint from the Father and the Son, he has very definite attributes of deity. Now, in our last lesson here, we're going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit as a teacher and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And then in our next lesson, we'll take up a very, very interesting study or series of studies on the Bible itself. The Bible itself uh, comes under the heading of, uh, really, if you want to get down right you know, down to it, comes to the heading of pneumatology because it's the Holy Spirit who inspired the Word of God and it's the Holy Spirit who preserved it. We might call it anthropology because it's God's revelation to man, but by the same token, we could call it theology because it's the revelation of God. So the Bible itself, as a book, comes with a very interesting, unique type of study and form of study are all alone and very distinct by itself. But in our next few lessons after this lesson today, we'll be studying the Bible itself, and studying in particular the inspiration of the Bible, the preservation of the Bible, uh, the content of the Bible generally, and studies about the Bible to show you how the superior to any scientific textbook in print and the modern King James Bible is far superior to the originals. If you had the original manuscripts, they'd be very uh, useless in contemporary society. And if you had them, of course, you couldn't get very much out of them, nor could your congregation for several reasons. And we'll talk about that later when we study the Word of God itself. Our subject matter for the next four or five weeks will be the Bible. But here today we discuss the last in our series of lessons on pneumatology, the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's no doubt about the power of the Holy Spirit being needed. In Luke chapter 24, 49, the Lord told the embryo church, the local church, tally until you be endued with power. So it is useless to proceed in our Christian lives without the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Again, I say this is a very dangerous juncture in the life of the Christian, especially the new Christian, as the flesh lusts for power. A man said one time, he said, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. If you want to know why dictators are corrupt, it's because they have absolute power. So although the power of the Holy Spirit is needed, this is a very dangerous place in the Christian life, for here the devil will seek to counterfeit the Holy Spirit and give you power from hell and make you think it's the Holy Spirit when it's nothing but demons on your flesh. Now, our lives must be lived in the power of the Holy Spirit, and uh, this is perfectly apparent by the examination of a half a hundred Christian lives or several thousand in America today. It is perfectly apparent that the modern Christian has a form of godliness but denies the power thereof. This power is promised. The Lord told the disciples in Acts 1.8, You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And from then on, when the Christian received Christ, or the sinner received Christ and became a Christian, he received the spirit of power, 2 Timothy 1.7, which says we have not received the spirit of a, a, a fear, but the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. So every child of God who listens to my voice has the Holy Spirit in his body. He has the treasure in an earthen vessel, and the Holy Spirit is in him to work in him and do exceeding abundantly above all he can ask or think, because that's the power that works in him. I notice that very carefully and read that very thoroughly in Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2. The Holy Spirit is life-giving. It is the Holy Spirit who quickens and gives an abundance of life. Notice especially 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. And this is sufficient. Paul found the Holy Spirit's power sufficient without oratory or gimmicks of any kind. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, he spoke about speaking of the demonstration power of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord told him on one occasion in the Second Corinthians chapter 12 that his grace was sufficient for Paul, and the Holy Spirit sustained him. Paul found the Spirit's power sufficient without oratory or gimmicks of any kind, and without having to go back and preach Peter's Jewish gospel in Acts 2.38. You notice when Paul preached, he never mentions Acts 2.38 one time, never quotes it any time, and never tells anybody to obey it. You must always be careful to note that Paul's gospel, the grace of God, is never Acts 2.38, and Paul never made the bad mistake that uh, Charismatics and Campbellites make in telling somebody to be saved by Acts 2.38, because Acts 2.38 couldn't save a dead horse in this dispensation. Uh, Paul, the power of the Holy Spirit in Paul, revealed to him and his audience the gospel, the grace of God, Christ dead, buried, risen again, coming again, and the convert was told to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he'd be saved. Of course, after that, quite naturally, he was baptized and joined a local church, and studied the Word of God to see how he should live. But when Paul speaks of salvation, he is always very careful never to say, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That would be the most hideous and atrocious error a man could possibly make in this age. The power of the Holy Spirit is sufficient. It cannot be purchased. In Acts 8, verse 18, uh, Simon the sorcerer tried it and was soundly rebuked. Simon Peter said, Your money perish with thee because you thought the gift of God may be purchased. And he said, Repent of this, your wickedness, because I proceed upon the gall of iniquity and the bond of bitterness. The Holy Spirit can be imitated, but not uh, counterfeited good enough to pass off by the Christian who believes the Word of God. Human zeal or fleshy effort must be rejected by the Lord. Uh, people today try to imitate the power of the Holy Spirit, but of course their, their power imitation is kind of like I said, it's kind of like building a Houston Space Center to set up a firecracker with. 
Nothing can be more impotent and powerless and fruitless and barren than somebody going around blubbing about tongues while they're trying to get to hang your pocketbook over a telephone. What could be any funnier than that? What could be any funnier than people trying to rake up million dollars talking about prayer, which offends nobody, and love, which offends nobody, and talking about sharing experiences, which offends nobody, when the cross is an offense. And when the offense of the cross ceases, the world will cease. Paul said, we have no continuing city here. Let us go outside the camp bearing his reproach. So when people imitate and counterfeit the power of the Holy Spirit, they never fool a man who's acquainted with it. The power of the Holy Spirit brings persecution and suffering. Paul said, when he wanted to know the power of the Lord's resurrection, the Lord said, keep on praying, Paul. And Paul said, what well, I forget to ask for? And the Lord said, the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable to his death. There's nothing respectable or money-making about dying a bloody death on a cross with two thieves. So we know what to think of the modern power-filled, spirit-filled Christian. He's a phony. The power of the Holy Spirit can be lost. We know although the Holy Spirit uh, sees us to the day of redemption and he has come to indwell us forever and will stay forever, his power can be lost by grieving the Spirit and quenching the Spirit. And we talked about this in previous broadcasts. In the Old Testament, we have a prime example in the life of Samson. And in Judges 16.20, we read how Samson once knew about the power of the Holy Spirit and lost it. The Christian will lose a spiritual power like salt without savor, fit only to be cast out on a dunghill. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Uh, this is why most of the Christians who profess to talk so much about the Holy Ghost, or Acts 2.38, are absolutely fruitless and barren and powerless, and all they can do is interfere with the salvation of a new convert or interfere with the salvation of a sinner who is being dealt with. We call these water dogs and these tongue blabbers, we call them hobby horse riders because they're not man enough to tell people they're going to hell without Christ. They're not man enough to tell people they're going to hell even without water baptism. You find the candlelight very tongue-in-cheek when it comes to telling you that you'll go to hell and burn forever if you don't get baptized in his pool. Now, he believes that but he hasn't got the guts to say it. And by the same token, you find these charismatics very edgy when it comes to telling an unsaved man he's going to go to hell and burn forever if he doesn't trust the blood atonement of Christ. The blabber, blabber, hostile, shantai, untie, bow tie boys and girls don't have very much to say about blood atonement for unsaved people. All they'll try to do is get the new convert messed up and get him to think he can lose his salvation. They're hobby horse riders, and their horses are dead. They're stick horses. Anybody who knows the Bible, to anybody who knows the Bible, is simply a joke, although I, I'll grant you a very tragic and ludicrous joke. Now the Holy Spirit should be studied for a while as a teacher. He's one of the greatest teachers who ever lived, if not the greatest, and in this dispensation, the greatest, about spiritual things. First of all, the Holy Spirit is indispensable as a teacher. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 and 14, we read that only the Holy Spirit can teach the Christian the deep things of God. You might compare to Romans chapter 11, verse 33. The Holy Spirit is our teacher and our guide, and Paul says, What man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no man knoweth the things of God, but the Spirit of God. Now, God hath not given us the Spirit of this world, but he's given us his Spirit, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. The teaching of the Holy Spirit is infallible. We read in 1 Corinthians 2.10, The Spirit searches all things, gave the deep things of God. 
The Holy Spirit has a knowledge of God, for he is God. Therefore, a man who is taught by the Holy Spirit from the Bible always has access to more information than a Greek or Hebrew teacher who corrects the Bible. Anybody in North Carolina or South Carolina who reads the Bible and believes that it and allows the Holy Spirit to teach them always has access to more truth than the faculty members of any Christian school in the country that are spending their lives altering the text because of their lack of intelligence. The Holy Spirit, the teacher, is all sufficient. In 1 John 2.27, we read, You need not that any man teach you. Again, in John 14.26, the Holy Spirit will teach the things regarding Christ. Now, at this point, the Christian should be careful. Notice, please, that even though we're told, You need not that any man teach you, the context of the matter is a man trying to teach you something that's contrary to the Word of God. And notice again, the teachers are a part of the gifts which God gave to the body of Christ, according to Ephesians chapter 4. Notice, please, too, in Acts chapter 13, one, verse 1 to 6, that there are teachers at Antioch for the disciples of first called Christians, and Paul himself calls himself a teacher of the Gentiles in verity and truth. Therefore, we believe you need not that any man teach you. He's talking in the context about a man teaching you something contrary to what the Lord said. You'll also notice that there's a great uh, truth in the statement, in that even though the teachers are given by the Holy Spirit to the body of Christ, and the body of Christ has teachers, in the final analysis, no teacher can teach any man the Word of God. I can guide you through it. I can explain it. I can read it. I can cause you to understand it and give the sense distinctly, but I cannot teach you unless God teaches you. Now this, you wouldn't think this would need to be said after observing the graduates of several hundred Bible schools in America. But the terrible and tragic catastrophe is what we have going in America today. We have more than 4,000 ministerial students graduating from fundamental institutions every year. If you took all the graduates of Piedmont and Pillsbury and Bowell and Mid-South and Northeastern and Southwestern and Midwestern, and Hiles Anderson and Lynchburg and Bob Jones and Tennessee Temple and Springfield and Arlington and upstate New York and San Francisco and Wheaton and Moody and Fuller and Dallas and the rest of them, you would have 4,000 young men coming out every year with less than 5% of them ever entering the ministry. And the 5% entering the ministry, less than 1% of them being effective. That is, what we're saying here is this. You're not going to get 40 effective ministers out of 4,000 graduates. You're not going to get 40. You're not even going to get 30. The Holy Spirit didn't teach them. The Holy Spirit is unassuming. In John 16:13, we read, He shall not speak of himself. That is, the outstanding mark of a man whom the Holy Spirit has taught nothing is the man who keeps talking about the Holy Ghost. The man who keeps talking about the Holy Ghost is the one that knows nothing about what the Holy Ghost believes or teaches. For the Holy Ghost, when he came, did not speak of himself. John 16, 13. So whenever you find people come hung up on the Holy Ghost, 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 those are people who've never met the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost does not testify of himself or glorify of himself or speak of himself. John 16, verse 13. Now the Holy Spirit enlightens the mind. In Ephesians 1, verse 17 and 18, Paul prays he'll open the eyes of the mind of the truth. 
Where you find truth rejected, you find somebody resisting the Holy Spirit. Where you find somebody reading a baptism in the first Corinthians 14, when no such word occurs in the chapter, you're dealing with a spirit quencher and a spirit rejecter. Where you find somebody pretending they're unknown tongues in Acts chapter 2, where there are none, you're dealing with somebody who's making a liar out of the Holy Spirit. When you find a man reading the word water in the Romans 6 and water in the Ephesians 4, when the word water occurs nowhere in either chapter or either book, you're dealing with somebody who has a darkened mind, and the Holy Spirit has opened the eyes of their mind to absolutely nothing. The Holy Spirit opens a man's eyes of his mind to the truth, and charity rejoices in truth, and Christ, Christ would sanctify them with the truth, thy word is truth. The Holy Spirit points to the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Notice Zechariah 12:10. The Holy Spirit quickens the understanding. Notice Isaiah 11, verse 2 to 3. The Holy Spirit touches not only the mind, but the brain and the imagination. The Holy Spirit compares spiritual things. 1 Corinthians 2.13. This means that the Holy Spirit is the interpreter of Scripture. For no prophecy of the Scripture was of any private interpretation, but the Holy Man of God spake as it were moved by the Holy Ghost. Therefore, it's the Holy Spirit who compares the verse of Scripture to give the student the right interpretation. Therefore, when you find a man interpreting the whole Bible, the last two Acts 2.38, the man is a spiritual pervert. The Holy Spirit would compare Acts 2.38 with Galatians 1, 8 to 10. When you find a man trying to buffalo you and bulldoze you and think you can lose your salvation by quoting Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10 and Matthew 24, you're dealing with a spiritual pervert. The Holy Spirit would compare the pastures with Romans 4, 5, 9, and 10. The Holy Spirit reveals hidden things. The Holy Spirit recalls forgotten things. Jesus said in John 14, 26, He shall bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Notice the same thing in Psalm 119, verse 11. The greatest computer memoromatic system is not an index filing system. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will hinder us from dealing with selfish things. Notice the Holy Spirit forbid Paul and Silas uh, to go off into Asia and made them come over into Europe in Acts 16, verse 6 to 7. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will block our way. We take a certain course and indicate he wants us to go a different way. When, when does he teach us? He teaches us, first of all, when we obey, when we meditate, when we serve, when we wait, when we listen. The Holy Spirit teaches no man who rejects the Word of God, who refuses to meditate the Word of God, who refuses to serve God, who refuses to wait on God, or refuses to listen to what the Word of God has to say. In Acts chapter 8, verse 26, Philip obeyed, and then the Holy Spirit directed him after he obeyed. The Holy Spirit will teach you when you obey the Lord. In Acts 10, 19, while Peter thought about these things, the Holy Spirit said. He was meditating at that time. In Acts 10, 19, probably in prayer. When we serve the Lord, as in Acts 13, 2, we read, quote, Acts 13, 2, As they ministered to the Lord, the Holy Ghost said. When the Lord speaks to a Christian, he always speaks to a busy Christian. Having God called the disciples out, you won't find one of them loafing when he's called. You can look through that Bible from kiver to kiver, and you can't find where God called any man into service who was loafing when he called him. Did you notice that? Gideon was threshing at a wine press. Peter was fishing. Elisha was plying a field. Matthew was taking the income tax receipts at the gate of custom. And Paul was on his way to kill disciples. 
God doesn't call any horizontal Christians into service. In Luke 2.26, Simeon was waiting, and then the Holy Ghost revealed to him what he wanted told him. In Revelation 2.7, we read that thing that Jesus said so many times the gospel, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. Then for the Holy Spirit to teach you, you must wait on the Lord, obey the Lord, meditate on the Word, serve the Lord, and listen to what God has to say. And when you listen to what God has to say apart from his word or reject his word and pretend that he told you something contrary to his word, you are waiting on a demon, meditating on a devil, and obeying Satan. God leads no man to act contrary to what he said. If therefore you're trying to get an unknown tongue from Acts chapter 2, you're serving Satan, the term occurs nowhere in the chapter. If you're trying to make unknown tongues, a sign of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, 1 Corinthians 14, you are in the service of a demon. The term baptism occurs nowhere in 1 Corinthians 14, from the first verse to the last verse. Now, finally, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The anointing is for power and for understanding of God's truth and for special ministries. Our Lord was continually filled with the Spirit during his 30 pre-baptism years, and in Luke chapter 3, uh, he was baptized in water, and the Spirit descended in bodily form, and he was full of the Holy Ghost when he was led out to be tempted. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. In Luke chapter 4, 18, Jesus speaks of his anointing, reading from Isaiah 61, 1. And he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel. This prophecy of the anointing is found also in Psalm 45, verse 7 and 8, where we read, Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore God thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. This anointing for powerful service is given after wickedness is burned away and the righteousness of Christ is manifested. This anointing is likely a direct result of our surrender to the Lord and filling with the Holy Spirit, but there is but one anointing. Notice in 1 John chapter 2, verse 20 and 27, and Acts chapter 4, verse 31. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is received by faith, for you receive Christ, and when you receive Christ, the Holy Spirit comes on you and in you and places you in Jesus Christ. If the Lord wants to anoint you for future work, then of course there's an added blessing or an added experience which may vary according to the work the Lord would have you do. Uh, very often in the great times of the Philadelphia Church, which are now over, and the time of the great revival of the 19th century, which passed many years ago and went out with prohibition in America in 1933, the Lord would give men special experiences and being with the Holy Spirit that he didn't give to hundreds of thousands of others. These were special anointings for special jobs. It is interesting to note that these anointings for service came on men like R.A. Toy, Billy Sunday, and Dwight L. Moody, and there wasn't one charismatic who was ever anointed for any kind of a job at all. If you read the records of the Azusa Street Mission in 1901, and in the Simple McPherson's Four Square Gospel Tabernacle in Los Angeles and other groups of this kind, you'll find that the anointing they professed to have resulted in the salvation of nobody at all. The average uneducated warehouse trucker or loader who is saved can lead more souls to Christ in a month without a special anointing than these people who talk about the anointing could lead in ten years. So don't worry about it. God will give you the power necessary to do the job you have to do for him, provided you surrender and obey and serve and wait and listen to what he, God, has to say. All right, this completes our series of studies on pneumatology, the person and work of the Holy Spirit. 
on our next series of lessons, which will run six or eight lessons, we'll study the Word of God, the inspiration of the Bible, the preservation of the Bible, and some interesting facts about the Bible, and point out to the Christian and prove from Scripture and scientific uh, so-called fact that the Bible is the only scientific uh, textbook in print and is far superior to the Library of Congress. Until then, may the Lord bless you and good day.